Welcome to season three of the Jesus of Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Why are you laughing already? Your face. What is... They can't see my face. I know, but I can hear. I can hear your face. You thought I was going to bring up some funky way to say hello. You were. And you started laughing. What were you doing? What I was you thinking of a fun way to say hello. Yeah. Okay, you busted. Go. You got me. How are you doing today, <laughs> Emily? I am awesome today here in Waco, Texas. The weather feels like we get. We call it the pseudo fall because it's where you fall in love with fall, but then we're going to get slammed with like a hundred degree temperatures next week. 50 degrees last night and it's going to be 90, I'm sure tomorrow. It might, but I'm so happy today because it just feels like a break from the oppressive heat here. Um, But that's one reason I'm happy. The second reason I'm happy is because my friend and my soul sister, Ash Abercrombie, is in my city. She's in my town. We got to eat some Magnolia Table. (laughs) Um, We got to walk around for a little bit. And then we get to do her book signing tonight at Fabled Bookshop, which I'm super excited about. But you know what? Ash and I are like really close. Mm -hmm. And we've never met. (laughs) So weird. Like that's the world we're yes, in. Yes, it is. So would you say that's the power of the internet? It really it has is. to be in the global connection. Like I have women in Australia that mm. I am friends with. I have friends in Thailand that I'm like soul connected with, Uganda. And it's like I've met them one time on one weekend. You know, with you it was introduced through a mutual friend through harmony mm. had one phone conversation we talked for like i don't know i don't even remember it was like over an hour yeah and it was like well I then we did we did we, we already we did, did a podcast, podcast. and yes, it, it did feel real natural it did like you it felt totally like a fit <laughs> and we kind of gave you the but seal that of approval wasn't even in person <laughs> i yeah, was in person and so it's just there's something about soul connection that i think you know transcends time and space and location geographical location which Mm -hmm. is just cool it's so human it is it's just so human and And life-giving yes and we need to be around people who just aren't afraid or ashamed of their humanity yeah and I think that's what I love about you is that you are fully embracing of your imago day your created Mm -hmm. divine image of God you're pursuing faith in the world and yet you are so okay with like your mm. mistakes, yeah. <laughs> which are many. <laughs> and I hate I that just... for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, so I just love it. We've, yeah, we dove deep pretty quickly Yeah, when, we did. you know, we got to see each other face to face today. So, but you're on the show, not just because I love you and you'd be on the show anyway to talk about all the things. <laughs> But you're here because um, you have a new book out in the world, which kudos to you for writing and launching a book in this pandemic, multiple pandemics. Um, And it's called Love is the Resistant, Learn to Disagree, Resolve the Conflicts You've Been Avoiding, and Create Real Change. 
Well, that feels like a book we need to read like this week. <laughs> that feels real at home right here, JSL. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You you do need to read this book. Um, it's it's full of practical. It's full of biblical wisdom. It's full of practical wisdom. And when I say biblical wisdom, I mean like informed biblical wisdom. So I, you know, it's sad that sometimes we have to make that distinction. Um, But I really trust um, your love for God, your love for the people of God and the work of justice and Mm. reconciliation that you want to see happen in the Mm. world. So it's a trustworthy resource no matter what that dude on amazon prime just wrote oh did you get a troll i did i, I got a one-star review it was glorious well look the, wait, 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 just the, the best <laughs> what did it say it was so good he was, basically was like he or she it was anonymous but it just said you know if you're a biblically based patriot you will not like this book and you will see why chapter, chapter two, two and on. moving forward oh. <laughs> biblically based Patriot. So, I don't even know what, what that means. Now. Well, I, you know? I could tell you, but I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. just assume. But it sounds pretty intense. Yeah. So if that, <laughs> regardless, yeah. regardless of if you're a biblical patriot or not, the cover of this book is, <laughs> is simply astounding. It's so fun. I have seen that. I love it. Yes. It's so fun because this is a book you would like. It actually has a masculine edge mm-hmm. to it, don't you think? Yes, yeah, so that was purposeful. Uh huh. Okay. Because we definitely Fine. felt like you know this is a message that is important for men and women, mm-hmm. you know, not just to women. Yeah, it's a timely thing that we all need. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to better mm-hmm. understand all the reasons we're fighting, and the way that we're shaped, mm. how our upbringing, our education story, the world around us, our culture has informed mm-hmm. our perspective. And how we view ourselves, how we judge ourselves, how we judge others, how we view others. And we need to better understand that so we can know the reasons why we fight. Mm -hmm. And so that we can better engage in conflict and have healthy conflict Mm -hmm. and good communication and, you know, be able to suspend judgment and extend compassion Mm -hmm. because we are people of grace. Mm -hmm. And I think we needed that reminder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in your first book, Rise of the Truth Teller, you kind of take readers on a very personal journey of your own story of kind of wrestling and, and a reckoning with your own faith and your own um, addiction, mm-hmm. your own recovery work, um, and how important it is to rise up and share your truth and to share the truth of the good news. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like, I think the difference, well, why don't you explain kind of what the difference is mm-hmm. in that first book that you wrote and where you want readers now mm-hmm. um, to hear you? What a beautiful question. So I celebrated 18 years sobriety this year. Woo! Yeah. So it's a massive accomplishment. And, you know, even through the global pandemic where I had to tap into every recovery tool in my belt, you mm. know, I think that anxiety reared its head in my life in a way that felt very familiar and mm-hmm. felt dangerous for me. Mm. <laughs> so I've really been having to practice all the things that I've learned over these last mm-hmm. 18 years. And I think that's the beautiful journey of recovery is that you never know, like my, my husband and I always say you're one decision away from stupid at all times, <laughs> but you're also one decision away from change yeah. at all times. Yeah. So it's not a fear-based thing. It's a humble thing. It just yes. keeps me humble to know like I'm still on the journey. Yes. So writing that first book was really a gift and an offering to say like, in, to your point earlier, and like, we're all human. Mm. We all make mistakes. Mm. We're all broken. We all have issues, problems, and pain. No one gets to escape that. 
mm-hmm. on this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to feel like that was a normal experience, like that it's normal to be this way. And yeah. it's normal to learn more about yourself, to grow, to change, to give yourself space to speak, to, to live, to learn. And I think similarly, through love is the resistance, I wanted to say, hey, conflict is normal. Yeah. And now we live in this space where our the analog and the digital are enmeshed. Yes. And sometimes the things that we see online and the quippy little statements and the way people interact on YouTube or on, yeah. you know, on the news or even a short little thing that happens in a faith community, like all that stuff is really great for a little event mm-hmm. or a viral tweet or a viral TikTok or a video mm-hmm. or whatever, but it doesn't actually work in real life. Yeah. And so I wanted to say to people, you know what? Conflict is normal because of our background. Conflict right. is normal because of the way we see the world, whether it's our political perspective, our religious perspective, our familial upbringing, what we think family is. Like these are all these things that cause conflict. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's normal. Mm. And if you are in a relationship without conflict, probably you are avoiding and sweeping things under the rug because it is actually normal to clash with others. And there are ways to love each other through that. And there are ways to grow and change. And Mm. there are ways to see each other Mm -hmm. in a way that brings health and healing Mm. instead of division and strife. Mm. And so that for me is what this book is really about, helping Mm -hmm. people through that. Mm. So as you were writing this, is your audience intended for faith communities or for, did you, did you see most of this happening in the faith community and you wanted to write a book for them or is this like for anybody? Yeah. So I actually dedicated the book to the church, which surprised me. So my dedication literally says, you know, I'm dedicating this to the church full of people I love and full of people who drive me to the brink of insanity. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Yeah. And I think everyone can relate to that right now Mm -hmm. um, who has been a part of a church for a minute. And I also found this gross gap between the public witness of the church Mm. and what I saw in my daily life. Yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. So the Christians in my life, like I'm sitting here looking at both of you and I think to myself these people are generous Mm. they will sacrifice they love people they love jesus they love justice Mm. like the folks in my life will turn up at your house Mm -hmm. after a death with some food in their hands like the people in my life will come through for you when your child needs a therapy appointment that they can't afford when somebody wants to go through with an adoption when somebody's going through a divorce like the christians i know are present in pain and they are available and they are full of joy Mm -hmm. and then when i would look at the public witness the scandals the toxicity the, you know, kind of doubling down on pride, mm. the here's who God loves and here who God's God yeah. hates, like yeah. all of that I thought is grossly different than my actual experience. Mm. And so for me, what I hope with this book is that it will offer, you know, a better, more faithful witness for the church and more freedom for individuals who maybe need to speak about things mm. or maybe need to be quiet for a little bit yeah. and learn, you yeah. know, and we're all both of those things at any given time yes. or any given sphere of influence we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to be quiet. Sometimes we need to speak, but either way we need the wisdom and discernment from mm-hmm. the Holy spirit to better understand mm-hmm. what God is doing in this moment and in this time and, and deeply commit to that. And I think our lives have gotten way far outside mm-hmm. of the daily ordinary life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to see us return. <laughs> yeah. So how did you, because I'm sure there's people listening to this and who might say like, you know, I can't say that I love the church. Totally. Like I can say I love <laughs> Jesus, but I don't know that I can say I love the church and have such a benevolent perspective and a generous um, assumption mm. about, because maybe the people closest in their life rejected them because of right. their choice or whatever they their behavior or whatever it is. Um, 
and relationship. And so, you know, what do you, what do you say? Maybe how do you respond to that? Because did you grow up having a benevolent view toward the church? Is this a generosity that you can extend because of your own experience with it? Or have you suffered church harm, Mm. church hurt? Um, yeah, just what what is that general stance for you? Mm, I appreciate this question because it is helpful for people listening because I didn't grow up evangelical. Mm-hmm. And I was the only person in my family who went to church with my great-great-aunt Ferry as a little girl. And, you know, her practice of faith is we went on Sundays, we opened up the church for the pastors, we opened up the library for the people, and then afterwards we'd walk the neighborhood. We'd make pimento cheese sandwiches yes. and oatmeal raisin cookies and yes. sugar cookies. Yes. And then we'd pick flowers from her yard and put them in vases and we'd walk the neighborhood and drop them off for what, you know, is called in the Baptist tradition, the sick and the Mm shut-ins. So people who are too sick to go anywhere, maybe have people visit or someone who's shut up in the house and they can't go anywhere. And we would make those visits. So for me, faith was always connected richly to um, acts of love and care and kindness and and neighborliness and justice. And at home though, you know, nobody else went to my, went to my church. And so in my home of origin, there wasn't this sort of you know, we didn't see everything through a Christian lens. We didn't attach our identity fully to like being part of a faith community. We didn't attach our identity, you know, politically to the church or any of that stuff. So that was, I've always grown up in this sort of mix of Mm -hmm. different races, different cultures, different Mm -hmm. perspectives, different religions. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it felt strange these last couple of years, especially like, frankly, I was just very naive. Mm to the connection between evangelicals and so many of these other things. Mm. And so in the last several years, that's when I really realized like, oh, wow, in churches as a child, you are taught this is bad. These people are bad. You should hate this. You should never do this. Women do or don't do this. Yeah. This group over here can or can't do that. And I had no idea. So for me, especially as a recovery person where you're coming in just <laughs> jacked up anyway and learning that Jesus loves you, like, and Jesus like, loves right. everybody. Yeah. You know, David was a murderer. I don't right. know what to tell y'all. The yeah. Bible is real clear, you know? <laughs> and so I think from that perspective, you know, being naive to all of it and not growing up in it, I think it mm-hmm. gave me a place to speak to it that was not so so, um, you know, connected to it, if that yeah. makes sense. It's like, I'm kind of feel like I'm standing on the outside, even though I'm sort of in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you did have, because you grew up in the South, um, North mm-hmm. Carolina, yep. right? And so because you grew up in the South, there is some sort of cultural Christianity at play, Yes, but there's not, um, what I would call like, uh, a major, you know, when you study like attachment theory, right? Right. So that, attachment theory is what determines your perceived identity, your perceived place, your perceived footing in the world. And so if that attached identity is with a particular faith denomination, faith group, that means you belong in the world here. And anything that threatens that means you then might lose that belonging. Mm. You might, if you go outside of it, you didn't necessarily have that. You Mm -hmm. had like a, a cultural kind of, Christianity at like this, you know, big macro level, you had like a touch point with it, with a grandmother, um, doing service, like doing work on, on behalf of the shut in and the sick and the marginalized. Right. Um, and so I love that you're, you're, you're exposed to it, but you're not, you didn't grow up necessarily fully attached Yes. Yeah. You said that beautifully, perfectly accurate. Yeah. And so I think for some of us, 
And, and so I'll speak from the other perspective mm-hmm. because so much of my identity was attached to belonging and worth in ministry mm. and in, um, in that way, just finding so much belonging in the church, mm-hmm. it saved me. Like not only did Jesus save me, but people in the church and the institution in some ways mm. protected me. Mm. And then when I found out, well, I don't need all that necessarily to define my worth. I don't need performance anymore to define my worth. I don't need a congregation to support my ideas or song or whatever, Mm. then if I lose my footing, there's a wound there because they don't accept me anymore. Mm. So I'm saying that because I think that your book is good for readers on both ends of the spectrum, because this is a real challenging word to me. Like, I know you said earlier, because we talked about this earlier and you're Mm. like, I just don't know, Emily, really? And, but your words have a conviction to them that I think for some of us who have been hurt and harmed by the church, it's an invitation to return with kindness in how we need to resolve. But I love your phrase, like do no harm, but take no mess. That's it. Period. So if I can have the freedom (laughs) to take no mess, then it helps me do no harm. Come on. You know, but if, if all it is, is do no harm, do no harm, do no harm, then I start taking on a lot of mess. Right. That's well said. And then I become like this doormat. And so I just think your book is really helpful because it helps those of us who need a voice, like you said, Mm -hmm. speak up a little more. And for Mm -hmm. those of us who just might need to shut up a little bit, we just can rein in the tongue. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Was there a way that you chose to lay out the book? Like, how Mm -hmm. do you go through like laying out such a... Like this is kind of history lessons in it. Yeah. So like you're taking current topics, but you're also taking world history, mm-hmm. global history. Um, well, that's world history. <laughs> um, <laughs> national, some national movement, justice movements. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to lay all that out? Does it just like flow or mm-hmm. do you work? With oh somebody? my gosh. Well, first of all, what did flow in 2020? <laughs> Not a doggone thing. <laughs> okay. Well, so. you produced also a human. <laughs> I did. And I was pregnant. You know, know. near birth. Yeah, exactly. Right. As I was writing this book. And I think that, you know, the thing that sticks out in my mind very often is I think about Solomon when he says there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And I think in these times it can feel like, and in some ways this is the first time we've ever been globally connected the way that we are. Mm -hmm. So there really are some first times for humanity happening. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's not like people didn't think the world was going to hell in a handbag before. Like this is not the first time. I'm sure parents were thinking during World War II, what is going on? What am I going to do? You know, I'm sure that when people were going through the Civil War here in America, they were thinking, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to make it? (laughs) Exactly. It just keeps going back. Exactly. All the way to the beginning of time. You know, like the book of Genesis is like a very bad Jerry Springer episode. Like this is, this is like, it's hardcore. So I think for me wanting to pull back the narrative of it, Mm. like God is bigger than America Mm. and God is global Mm. and he loves all people Mm -hmm. and every person is created in his image. Say that again. Yes. Say that that one more time. All of it. God, all of us are created in God's image. You know, he's not American. He's global. Every single human. And I think because of that, I wanted to remind us 
that I have a responsibility to others. Mm. I'm not responsible for them, but I'm responsible to them. And the way I think about them, even people whom their beliefs I despise, Mm -hmm. and even people who I feel are frustrating the gospel message for Mm. many people who are out there in need of love Mm. and grace and compassion, in need of a connection with God, even those people God loves. And I think laying out this book, it helped me to examine Mm. globally and nationally, how people have held on to faith. How have they held on to love? How have they Mm. held on to justice? How were they faithful in their ordinary lives? What did they cultivate inside themselves that they could be found faithful when the moment God needed them to do something, Mm. to act, to move, that they were ready? Mm. And I want to be that kind of Christian. I I want to love, but I also want to love even my enemy yeah. As Jesus commands me. And I yeah. think that takes a lot of hard soul work mm-hmm. and I don't get it right all the time. And sometimes I mess up major and it costs me things. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm on a journey too, and I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring out how to love people that don't look like me yeah, and don't think like me mm. and don't even like me. Mm. What does that look like to, to extend them love? And of course there's boundaries and you know, there's all those very good things we need to have. Cause Roman says, Oh, oh no man, but to love him, it doesn't <laughs> say I have to like everybody right. or be in relationship with everybody. That's true. But there is like, I don't have to meditate or demonize someone or villainize them just because they're different than me. Or they say something that I think is crazy. Mm. I can just, you know, I, I can keep my own personal peace intact and keep my love intact no matter what other people do. And so Absolutely. that's part of why I wanted to lay it out this way. Mm. So North Carolina. Yeah. I love it there. <laughs> um, you're in Texas. Mm-hmm. You had barbecue for lunch. <laughs> we did not have barbecue for lunch. I thought you had VTEX. No, no, we, no. No, we Mm-mm. went to Magnolia. That's what I had when I first came That's here what with, you my had husband, with your right? husband. That's Because yeah. he's Baylor. He so the first thing we did is go to a Baylor game. And, and then we ate pack. a gut pack. Okay. Oh, which yeah. I deeply regretted, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're traveling. Are by you going to choose North Carolina barbecue over Texas barbecue? 100%. Oh, this is the biggest argument in our household. Okay. And my mom just bought my husband a smoker. And I mean, y'all, he will not lay down the Texas barbecue. And listen, it's good. Mm-hmm. I have no beef with Texas barbecue. Pun. But I grew up. Exactly. <laughs> yes, message. Nicely placed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And then I, but I grew up with vinegar based barbecue. I know. Right? And it is just nasty. A, throw some coleslaw on there yeah. on a nice yeah. bun. I've been to a pig I'm picking. Down. I've been hey, to a pig picking. See, that's how I grew up. Yeah, listen. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. Kidding. It was good. I'm, I, I'm open to. I love the vin. I love the tang of it. I just. Me too. Yeah, I, li- so I like good. it all. I like it all. It's delicious. I mean, you still smoke. You still smoke the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you smoke the meat. You, That's it's right. got that good char on it. It's so good. But yeah, it is more like Texas has that good little ketchup. Yeah, and my husband despises North Carolina barbecue. Oh, he despises. <laughs> I mean, it's all pork. Wholeheartedly hates yeah. it. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, since we're canceling, since Brett's canceling North Carolina barbecue, <laughs> let's talk about so cancel culture. I'm here for it. You have like a whole chapter about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of, and I love this book too, because as you laid it out, who, did you decide on the attitude, affirmation, reflection, and technique? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's, so after every chapter, so if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, Ash lays out um, kind of her thoughts on a certain topic. And then at the end, it's a way to actually practice Mm -hmm. gaining more perspective, gaining love, allowing love in. And so she has an attitude. She has an affirmation. She has a reflection and then a technique. It really Mm -hmm. could just kind of 
just be your meditation time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really can use this as a meditation guide over the next, you know, few weeks yes. if you want to. Yes. Um, so cancel culture is something that obviously all of us have more language to now as of 2020, mm-hmm. we even know what cancel culture is. <laughs> so what, tell us your thoughts on why we do this, but then more importantly, even tell us is sometimes, is it okay to cancel people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think part of the thing with cancel culture is that we have just taken the whole concept way too far. You know, sometimes people are being held accountable and we call that cancel culture. Mm. And if somebody has abused their power, if they are sexually abusing others, if they are hurting people and oppressing them, this is not to hold them accountable is not to cancel them. It's like, say it again. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's one mistake we've been making. Yeah. I think the other thing is, is it's not a new practice. Mm. You know, people have been getting canceled forever. Like you can look back, look at Martin Luther King Jr. If you read how Christians were with him, right. the time he was living in, he was getting canceled left and right by Christians. Right. They were calling him a communist, a Marxist, like all the things. Mm-hmm. Dolores Huerta is mm-hmm. another one. You know, she's mm-hmm. like this incredible woman that, you know, led a movement along Cesar Chavez and you rarely hear her name. And in many schools across America, they canceled her books. Mm. They canceled her place in history books. And so I think it's important to know this has been happening a long time. And then on down the line, you can probably, you know, everybody has some examples. And then I think that there are those times where people get removed from things because they don't speak the same language. Mm. They don't have the same ideological makeup. They are, you know, doing something that we disagree with. And Mm. so people say, I don't like that. I don't want them around. Let's figure out a way to push them out. And, you know, I talk about several different examples of this, very public examples of this in the book and actually how people get canceled and then walk away with like a hundred million dollars. Like who is really getting canceled when that happens? Like, you know what I mean? And then there are plenty of people, their books don't come off shelves. You know, it's like, there's a whole, it's, it's more nuanced than just like this person's canceled and that person's not. You it know? feels weird to me to play a victim role. Yes. If you get quote canceled, but you are getting book deals. Correct. And you are now on famous. Nash- you're famous <laughs> for the ways that you were canceled because that's not how Jesus was canceled. Correct. That's not how Jesus was canceled. Yes. <laughs> And so the narrative that I hear with mm-hmm. people in the church who feel like they're getting canceled is it's like, I'm t- because I'm standing up for the name of Jesus, I'm getting, you know, persecuted. Like they're using language. It's very gospel language, mm-hmm. but they've actually gained followers, yes. media. Yes. So I don't think that's persecution. Well, totally. And if you think about persecution anyway, you're going to get me down this track now. This we'll, we'll see what happens here. But I think persecution in general, you know, the way that it's used here in America is laughable. And so, totally. I mean, it's just, I have a friend who lives in India and she, she married someone while she was over there. And now they work in marginalized communities where they actually can be murdered for being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And she wrote to me cause she's on my email list. And mm-hmm. I was talking about this in one of my email newsletters. And she wrote back to me and said, thank you for sharing this. I have been so deeply grieved. My husband and I are on our knees in the middle of the night praying for American Christians because what they think is persecution is offensive to me. Oh. She's like, we could literally die tomorrow for our faith. And so I think this idea of, 
you know, getting canceled, looking like persecution, especially the Bible we read, looking at people being thrown in prison and stoned and, you know, all the things that happen to folks. It's like, what are you, do you go to Starbucks a few times a week? Do you get to shop where you want to shop? Do you get to do what you want to do? Most likely this is not a case of being persecuted. And I talk about in that particular chapter as well, what it feels like many women, Mm. for example, know what it feels like to use their voice. Mm -hmm and be removed from meetings Mm -hmm. or to speak and be uninvited from a faith community Mm -hmm. or to do things on a regular basis and get quote unquote canceled. Mm -hmm. And no one ever knows about it. It's just a quiet thing that happens, Mm -hmm. a thing that we deal with, a thing that we move on from all the time. And that, of course, it happens to men too. But I think for sure it's happening to women on a regular basis. And so I don't think, you know, the way that we're using cancel culture publicly is necessarily great. Right. I was I was just reading this morning about a celebrity who had been canceled because a video of him rose and um, people were coming to his defense. Don't cancel him; it's going to affect his his wealth and his income and da 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 da. And you know they're pulling his music and this that and the other. And I read this morning that he is donating five hundred thousand dollars to several organizations that had been affected by his efforts. Mm. He's got $500,000. To just give away like it's chump change. In the midst of his cancellation. Right. Yeah. No, you just got called out. You just need to own your shit. Right. That's it. And repent and move on. That's it. Like, you're not a victim, bro. Right. Yeah. That's it right there. Bam. Yeah. Um, Interesting times for sure. So when we... As we're experiencing cancel culture, it invariably, if it didn't before, which there was some conflict before the cancellation, but there's certainly then after the cancellation continues to be emerging conflict that could come up between family members because of this news now, because of, you know, and that's, I think what we're all facing It's like, it's made its way. Like all this crap on social media has just made its way to the dinner table, to the families, to, you know, kids who are already scared enough. And Mm. now mom and dad are fighting over Trump or Biden or whatever, you know, like, or if it's fake news or if it's not fake news and da, da, da. And so conflict is a normal part. What has changed do you think in how we are approaching conflict today? Mm-hmm. Was there a time where it was more normalized? Mm. Um, or is this something that is just, are there seasons in world history that maybe feel just more combative? And mm. so we're going to have to kind of get through this. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out like, mm. is conflict is universal. It's always been going on. It's not that it's not normal, but it just feels like we're in a pressure cooker and it every, does. in your, in your, fighting or you could be fighting with everybody, which just steals your joy. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think conflict has always been a thing. And I, I do think, you know, everybody has a different way of dealing with conflict and not very many of us grow up with good examples. Mm -hmm. And most people are either sweeping things under the rug and pretending like they're not there or they are acting very aggressively on Mm -hmm. the flip end. And Mm -hmm. so somewhere, and, and both of those things are really just avoiding intimacy Mm -hmm. and avoiding connection, which is what healthy conflict does. It brings us closer and it brings us us greater connection 
And so yes. it is a conflict is a means to connection when it's healthy. And so staying on those two opposite ends helps us avoid doing that work of being vulnerable. Mm. Nobody wants to really do that work. So I think that's a tale as old as time. Yeah. But I do think that we are living in a time that is a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And whenever there is anxiety and scarcity, mm-hmm. whenever there is fear of the future, whenever people are concerned about their day-to-day life, what we tend to do is start to hoard whatever little bit we do have, mm-hmm. even if it feels big to, you know, comparatively, we we hold on and we close our fist and we double down and we need to be right because if we're right, we can control Mm. what's happening Mm. and and we need to be okay. And we need to create a false sense of security because Mm. at least if we're secure, everything will be okay. And so I think at a very human level, what people want is, is control. Mm -hmm. And because we can't have it right now, Mm -hmm. you know, we try to take all of that fear and anxiety and we push it outward. Mm. You know, we push it into politics and hating this person or that person. We push it into religion. This person does Jesus the right way. That person doesn't. We push it into justice. This is, this is what biblical justice is. No, this is what biblical justice Uh is. And we push it to the right and we push it to the left, but everything is outward facing. Yes. And what I'm inviting us to in this book is to say all that energy you're expending is not giving you any influence and it is not giving you more control. Mm. It's actually spiraling you more and it's hurting the relationships you care about the most. So what would it look like for you to bring it back to just the dinner table? (laughs) What does it look like for you to be alone Mm. with yourself? Mm. What does it look like for you to have peace on the inside? What would it look like if you stopped trying to control everything and everyone Mm. and every circumstance in your life? Mm. What would it look like? Who are you in that space? And how can you connect with others in a way that is actually more meaningful and Mm. will bring life and health to your your bones, literally, if you were to begin to turn it a different way. Stop expending energy out. And what would happen if you were able to get over the deep need to be right? Come on. I mean, the pride. You know, all Mm. of us just want it. We just want to be right. Sure. In our own rightness. Yes. Because Mm. if, if, if I'm right, then you're not right. Right. But if you're right, then I'm not. And I, that's vulnerable to have to consider. Yes. Because it could be that you are and I'm not. Yes. Yeah. And I am an expert at being right. So I'm just going (laughs) to tell (laughs) y'all. I will say from a percentage perspective, you are way more right than I am. Oh, I just I had to say it. it. I'm like, okay, I'll out myself. And you one here. Um, but I do love to be right. But what I've noticed is that it is about control. Yeah. And it is about kind of quelling a deeper anxiety because yes. being right gives me safety. And yes. it gives me safety because I fit somewhere. Mm. I'm if like... I think for me, what the illusion of like the, the system of evangelical, um, ideology, the, the safety that it brought me Mm. was that instead of saying, do you believe just Jesus? It said, do you believe Jesus and Mm. do you believe that this is how the rapture will take place? And do you believe this Mm. is what salvation actually looks like? Mm. Um, You know, it's immediate conversion. It's walking the aisle. It's not slow. Mm. Um, Do you believe this about the rapture? Um, And do you believe this about, you know, pro-life and what that means? Mm -hmm. And do you believe this about whatever? Sexuality. Um then it meant if I subscribe to the ideology, mm. not to the person of Jesus, Come on. 
But if I just subscribe to the ideology, then I'm right and I belong and I fit. The problem with Jesus is if you if you find your identity in him, he messes that list up. He sure does. He messes it all up, and then you're not right about all the things you thought you were Come right on. about. Man, you are preaching good. Hey, that was really good. <laughs> it and was so good. Was but good. it's like you don't fit anymore. Yes. And so then that's scary. It's scary. I talk about this in the first chapter about love. And, you know, God is love, but it's wild, and it's unruly, and yeah. it cannot be contained, right. and it is mysterious. Yeah. And there, it is so wild that God loves me and the other side. It oh is so gosh. wild that God would be like, I love a murderer. It's so wild that yeah. he would be on the cross right. and be like, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise to the yeah. guy who's getting crucified right next right. to him. Like, what kind of wild God is this? Yes. yes. And then I have to ask myself if I look at him mm. long enough, like, God, is that love in me? I know. And if it's not God, what what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. God, how do you want me to change? Because yeah. I'm not sure I would look at that guy right. and say what you said. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that I want to go where you went. And I'm not sure that I want to live this wild, unruly life. But the more I love him, yeah. the more everything comes apart at the seams. Yes. But the more shored up I am in the things yeah. that matter. Yes. And we all carry this sense of false security anyway. Right. So like when you stand on the rock, like you have a real sense of security, mm-hmm. a real sense of safety. Then no matter what is happening in my life, no matter what the economy looks like, no matter who's in charge of the politics, like I'm okay. My family's okay because I'm on the right rock. Yeah. You know, you know, you're putting it that way. So, um, we work with uh, sex buyers yes. and I've grown in a space of empathy for many of them. You know, they have mm. stories of their own trauma and things like that. And I had made a post and it uh, made someone mad. Mm. Um, their position was there's just monsters in the world and those monsters aren't deserved of any sort of love and affection. And just hearing you say about the cross, I mean, Jesus was between two monsters. Yes. What society would call a monster. Yes. Mm. And so he demonstrates for us that we can we can love the monster. Yes. Doesn't mean we love what they did. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're not going to be held accountable for what they did. Come on. But we can still love them yes. and find a space for them. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's, Man, so it's hard. hard. He makes it so hard. He does. But he models it. He does. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. It works. Yeah. Like it actually works. The more that I practice it, the more free I, know. I am. Isn't that fun? Like I'm unbothered. You know, I like know. I'm literally unbothered. It's like I'm not. I don't even have time to argue with you. I don't even have time to fool with you. Like I'm not going to do it. Like yeah. I'm unbothered because I want to yeah. put my energy where it belongs. I think you're. And to your point, I think that's because all that external energy that you used to spend, that I used to spend out there, mm-hmm. making you know, policing the world, <laughs> p- policing morality, <laughs> policing problems, fixing. Right trying to fix people which is just dumb totally um i i finally you know through rock bottom right turned to look in Mm. and when you do that it it's crazy what happens because it does feel like it's not that the world stops having problems come on like that that's not gonna quit like whether you're in the mess or you remove yourself from the mess Mm. it's still gonna be a mess it's just what it means. But at the end of the day, turning inward, that rock that you stand on and you just said it, the longer you look at him, the more you know you're okay because you know you are loved. Yes. Yes. You are yes. loved from head to toe, yep. you know, wrapped all around that nowhere you go is mm-hmm. outside of his love. Mm-hmm. And when you know that, it's just like, 
you're free to make the mistakes and it's like well maybe i do look like an idiot to you yeah so but I, even, I guess i do yes even when you know that though, yes. even when you know that though that's the power that allows you to love the other person that's Bam. exactly that's you've it. got to you've got to know that you're loved know first that you're loved. correct that's so it. that you can love the murderer and Bam. yet you can't know that you are loved that well unless you're reaching out it's the whole yeah. isaiah 58 paradox yeah. It's the whole, here's the kind of fasting I've chosen. Yeah. Yes. To to clothe the naked, to feed the poor, to loose the chains, then your light will Come appear. On. And it's just like, as you go, you, you are given this opportunity to see yourself. Yes. As you serve, as you serve the sick and the shut-in, it's like you were giving flowers to yourself yes. with your great-grandmother. That's it. Because you became the sick and the shut-in yes. at some point. Yes. Where the love of God That's brought it. flowers to you. Yes. You know? Can we and, cancel the word shut-in? <laughs> I have always hated it's that word. Terrible. You know, it's the Baptists so were the worst at oh. naming people <laughs> like, in a very bad way. Uh, pa- like hundred uh, percent. Brother Bob, should. brother Bob, chairman of the shut-in committee. I'm like, what the hell is a shut-in? So this true. is why you want and they Brett would be on listed a podcast. exactly. And you know, they got listed in the bulletin, yeah. so you could open it up on shut-in. Oh. Yeah, like, and it literally says highlighted. Yes. That Lord bless so it. Weird. It's completely weird. I, I cancel you, agree. shut in. That's that's a worthy cancel. I'll go with you there. I want to say one quick oh. thing about what we just talked about mm. is this is why recovery communities matter so much. Oh my gosh. And sometimes we stigmatize recovery like recovery is for those people. You know, recovery is for all people. We are all in need of recovery. Yeah. And what's so beautiful is I think about all the times I've sat in a meeting and like the person next to me is of one economic class. I'm of another. Somebody else is of another. This person over here is the one who is enmeshed in a codependent relationship in the one who's acting out. And this is the one who is the savior in the relationship. And then over here, this is the one who had an affair with somebody else. Here's the other woman over there. And we're all in this room. And it just feels like heaven. Yes. Because this is what it is, is we are all broken and in need of a savior. We are all in need of help. And together, somehow we have to find a way to live together. And I think that's the beauty of heaven. And I think when we get there, we're going to be so surprised Mm. because I think there are people up there that I don't want to be there. I don't think they deserve to be there. I'm like Jonah all the way. And they're going to be, the Ninevites are going to be sitting up there chilling and I'm going to be like, you shouldn't be here. How did you get here? You know, but we all have that. And I think it's really important to accurately see yourself as Mm. broken because then when you accept your own you can accept that of others, mm-hmm. even if they are the goody two shoe Christians who think they're doing everything right. I have grace for them now. Yeah. I used to not. Yeah. And so I think we're all in this beautiful I'm glad. Journey. I was a goody two shoes. I really was. <laughs> it's hard to I believe mean, that, honestly. Oh. Go easy on yourself. It is hard to believe it. I was a goody two shoes with a like wild hair that not many people got to see. Mm. You know what I mean? I couldn't ever do it publicly because I was such a perfectionist and self-righteous. Mm. So, but yeah, there were, that all started to break down pretty early in adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, I've had a lot of practice at not being the goody two shoes, but I still, man, it feels good sometimes to be the hero, to be the savior. That's what I have to fight. Sure. You know, I have to, I have to fight that because it's, it's hardwired in me from family system to then church system. Yeah. I mean, that's what's rewarded. Yeah. You know, it's so true. So that is not foster love. No, it doesn't. If anyone's listening (laughs) or vulnerability, you have to lie to live. You have to literally. lie to live. Yes. Yes. You literally do. Yep. And it is so true and it is not, it's not any way uh, to embrace love. Okay. I want to read this 
Um, and then I let's get to the last chapter because I really <laughs> want to talk to you about that. Um, you say, you tell this story about the Mirabal sisters. Am I saying mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Okay. And they have such an incredible, mm-hmm. like, story of resistance, mm-hmm. of resisting dictatorship, and um, eventually bringing it down, even though it cost them their own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say, many people falsely believe that every tension must be resolved before we can move forward in a relationship. And if resolution does not seem possible, it feels easier to stay silent, gossip about the situation, or use our words in a way that tears the other person down rather than working toward resolution. Hmm. We're hesitant to face the immediate pain that comes from engaging in a conflict because we do not keep the end goal of intimacy and connection in mind. As James Baldwin says, not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Hmm. So I, I felt that, I mean, I was like, Ooh, feel this because it does feel like for me sometimes, because I do care so much about the truth that if someone's not willing to acknowledge the truth Mm. that I kind of keep wanting to like prove myself Mm. to like tell them the truth and that tension gets hard for me to live in. If I'm like, how am I supposed to love you if you're believing a lie about me and I need to tell you the truth about this because what you believed in 2001 is not true Mm. and it's hindering, you know, I want to go back and correct that so we can move forward in intimacy. But you're like, you're basically making the argument that like, you don't have to go back all the way, Mm -hmm. especially if that other person doesn't want to go back all the way. Exactly. Yes. So I think in this way we have to figure out like what love does is discover reciprocity Mm. And those who are willing to be in reciprocal relationship with you, that's a journey towards intimacy. That's a journey towards vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That's two people working on themselves and wanting to grow in relationship. Otherwise, I think you have to learn to redraw boundary lines. Mm -hmm. Stop proving yourself, for example. Exactly. Decide I'm not going to deal with certain language or certain attitudes. I will leave if this or that happens. Right. You redraw some boundary lines. And then the other option is you end the relationship completely. Mm -hmm. And some people don't like that option, particularly Christians don't like that Mm -hmm. option, but that is a real reality when someone refuses to stop hurtful or harmful behavior. That's right. You have to make a decision to remove yourself from the relationship. And Mm -hmm. should they ever want to engage in reciprocity Mm -hmm. and in repentance and in recovery and Mm -hmm. change, Mm -hmm. then there would be a possibility or open door for resolution. But if there is not, you got to keep journeying forward. Yeah. And we cannot stay stuck with people who don't want to change. That's right. You just can't. And you can't waste your breath trying to convince people of anything. Right. It's impossible. So it's hard for Christians. <laughs> why is it hard for Christians to believe that? Because we've been taught that love and forgiveness always means reconciliation. Mm. But when I think about my background, you know, being sexually assaulted, being in some dysfunctional relationships, I'm very uninterested in ever having reconciliation in those relationships. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's the right path. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to know that love and forgiveness does not always end in reconciliation. Yeah, there has got to be a process. There has got to be change on both sides before that could ever happen. And in some cases, it probably will never happen. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Doesn't mean you don't love God. Doesn't mean you don't worship Jesus. Doesn't mean you're not hearing him. It's just like, that's a healthy thing for your soul. Do you think (laughs) in terms of where this has happened in families that we've idolized an extent to an extent of what family means 
that we're supposed to all get along, that we're all supposed to just come back to the table again and again, even if it harms us and it's poison going down. Mm. Have we just in the church has, whether it's patriarchy or Mm. family systems been so like elevated to the point that they can actually create harm and keep people coming back to get harmed. Yeah, I do. Again, I think this is for an expert who came up in the evangelical camp because mm-hmm. I was always around single mothers and mm-hmm. families that look different and somebody, you know, some mama adopted somebody's kids, her neighbor kids, you know, like that's the the upbringing that I had. Yeah. So for me, I don't idolize like, you know, this particular family unit. And if we don't have that, we've got to strive to get it or everybody will think this, that, or the other, or God even thinks this about me. So it's interesting from my perspective, healthy relationships are the priority. And I have had to walk away from family relationships. And I saw my mom do that in a good way. And so I think that, you know, I... I think an expert in the evangelical space would, but outside looking in, that's what I see. I see people clinging to the death, to things that will kill them. Yeah. And an unwillingness to change or to bend or a person who has to continue to feel like, you know, the sub, the subpar person in the relationship in order to make everything function. And I think it's really sad. And I wish people gave Christians more permission, Mm. especially those with that kind of background Mm -hmm. to change, to grow, to make different decisions, to relate to one another differently, to get help, to go to therapy, to try Mm. something that will help, you know, move your relationship toward vulnerability and reciprocity in relationship. And I wish we made room for families that look different. Yeah. I wish we did that better. Yeah. That's so good. Um, I just, I just loved that whole section. It just really gave one of my favorite chapters. Yeah. It just really gave me not just permission, but also just tools of like evaluation Mm. just to really evaluate friendships, to really evaluate relationships, to say, you know, I mean, one of the things Al-Anon says that we've talked about is, um, you know, you don't have to accept unacceptable behavior. No one has to accept unacceptable behavior. Yes. And that is not the freedom of Christ. Right. Period. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. He did not free you so that you would sit in a prison cell. Come on. (laughs) And be subjected to abuse or whatever it is. Yes. Um, or humiliation or exploitation. And so it's so, it was just such a powerful, um, chapter. So the last chapter is one that I'll love you till the cows come home mm-hmm. is what it's called. <laughs> and tell us what led you to write this chapter. Was this an addition to the book? Mm-hmm. Was it? Okay. It was like a final, like I couldn't figure out how to close the book. Okay. And this is how it happened. You know, okay. I was not minding my own business on Twitter, which I've been known to do from time to time. <laughs> and um, I said something I really shouldn't have. And it got traction about from the person that I said it about. The issue is they had 330,000 followers on Twitter and I have a very different perspective. Like if you were going to put us in two camps, we'd be on opposite sides wow. of, of the line. Wow. And when she did her retweet, several, several of my tweets went into my Instagram, like this, this whole crazy thing. I had to go private on my socials for a week and I ended up sobbing in my shower, nine months pregnant, just like, you know, it was a terrible time. And as I read my book that night to the kids, Um, you know, I read, I love you till the cows come home. And I so gently felt the Lord saying, this is how I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, as I'm telling them, you know, this is how, this is how Mm -hmm. I love you. I'll love you till the cows come Mm -hmm. home. The Lord is saying it to me. And when I went back into the room that night, God gave me after he loved me, Mm -hmm. because that's how God is. Yeah. Then he rebuked me. Mm -hmm. 
And he told me, I love the other side. Mm. And I began to read through Romans 14. And Mm. in Romans 14, it talks about how we judge each other, that we have, you know, one person has weak faith Mm -hmm. and the other person, you know, we make assumptions about the way they eat, the way Mm -hmm. they live, what they drink. And then we decide whether their faith is good enough. Mm. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, that the Lord is able to make his servants stand or fall. Mm. And it says that the ones he loves, he will make them to stand. Mm. And so God just rebuked me. Like the way that you are relating this person, you think she has weak faith Mm. and you think I won't make her stand. Mm. But what if I do make her stand? Mm. (laughs) You know? And then it says also in that chapter in, in Romans, it asks the question, well, it basically just says, if you like, you can condemn yourself by what you approve. Mm -hmm. And I realized how much condemnation I was heaping on myself by constantly going around saying what I approved of. Mm -hmm. And I didn't approve of her expression of faith. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. I probably, to be honest, I still don't. So I don't really know what to do with that. There's a tension for me. (laughs) But at the same time, I don't have to make comments and villainize her and say things that are inappropriate Yeah. because then I'm condemning myself. Yeah. And so that chapter was really birthed out of that. And it felt like an invitation for all of us to examine our judgments and an invitation for all of us to examine our assumptions that Mm. we make about others and their faith and what's weak and what's not weak. And, you know, to remember at the end of the day that the Lord will make us stand. Mm -hmm. Mm. So good. I just want to take a deep breath. I just feel, I feel refreshed. I feel invigorated. I feel thankful that you've done this. Thank you for writing this for us. Thank you for um, doing it while you're pregnant (laughs) and doing it during 2020. I just, I'm so encouraged by your, um, by your obedience really to do that. Um, is there an audio version? <laughs> there is an audio version, Ooh. and I love the audiobook. Highly okay, recommend. So did you do it? I did it. Okay, yes. Okay. So riddle me this. Yes. Because we have an ongoing question issue yes. about this. I'm ready. Do you consider if someone says, I read Ash's book, but they read it on Audible, do you consider that a read? Yes, I do. Yes. I, got, I got three little kids under seven. If I'm going to read a book, it's because I'm listening to it yeah, in my ear. That's what I you know? think. And I used to read all the time, and now I only listen to audiobooks because I just literally cannot do it. Well, goody two-shoes <laughs> over there thinks that it's got to be no. the... you got to use your eyes. It's like I'm podcasting. <laughs> that's true. It is. It feels it like is. a long podcast. It does feel like a long podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I'll return to books at some point. Yeah. But in this season of my life, audio is the yeah, way. Yeah, you get pass he doesn't that's where i'm judging you have weak faith um, yeah you have weak faith i hope the lord helps you stand i'm canceled <laughs> yes you are goodbye jeez i love it okay well where can people find you either acting out or not acting out on the interwebs yes so at ash abercrombie everywhere on the socials and ashabercrombie.org if you want to go check anything out on my website i would love to connect with you guys and it's been such a privilege thank you so much for having me i love you guys you are the real deal (laughs) love you thanks for being here my pleasure thanks for joining us we hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey make sure to subscribe and leave a comment For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.